I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on this law does he meditate day and night. I will delight myself in thy statutes, and I will not forget thy word. Deal bountifully with thy servant that I may live, and keep thy word. Open thou my eyes, that I might behold wondrous things out of your Torah. All scripture is given by inspiration of God, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Heavenly Father, as we open up your word, at the same time, open up our hearts and our minds to, to be re receptive of your word, that our hearts and minds will be fertile ground for the eternal seed, the life-giving seed of your word. Sometimes the world has jaded us, made our hearts and our minds cold and stony and callous, but Father, the seed of your word is powerful. I just, I just go out and look at the asphalt and see the cracks within the asphalt. And what is it that breached the asphalt? A tender green shoot of grass. How can something that fragile, that can be torn and plucked out of the ground, have enough strength to break through concrete? But Lord, your word is as powerful as a blade of grass, and it can crack through the stony uh, coldness and callousness of our heart and our mind. And we pray, Lord, that it would do that, and that that seed would sprout forth into everlasting life and break up the fallow ground of our heart and in our mind. Lord, we love you and we praise you. We love your word. We love your son who is the living manifestation of that word. And we give you all glory and we give you all praise. For it's in Yeshua's name we pray. Amen. Amen. The Torah portion for this week is called Kitetzi, which means when you go out. And it's taken from Deuteronomy chapter 21, verse 10, going all the way to chapter 25, verse 19. Um, we're going to end up in Deuteronomy 22, but for now, we're going to check out a few renewed covenant passages. And I'm going to start out in Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. And as you're turning there, we talked a little bit about enemies uh, before we started our service. And how that there's enemies of the cross. There's enemies of the faith. And these enemies claim to be one of us. It's the woke church. You know, it's, it's the progressive church, the civilized church, so to speak. Uh, they see our ways as old-fashioned, out-of-date, archaic. But how can that be when the Word of God never changes and we are standing on the plain truth of the Word? So we have a civil war within Christendom. The woke church against the remnant church. You have enemies of the church that, that are coming from the government. You know, we're modern. We're educated. We're advanced, we're scientific, we know better, we're smart enough to, to run ourselves, to rule ourselves. All this other stuff has been causing the problems of the world. What communist leader said that, that it was a religion that was the opiate of the masses and that it's religion that causes all the trouble? Well, I'll agree with him. If the religion isn't founded on the Word of God, it is going to cause a lot of trouble, and it has caused a lot of trouble in the world. It's not religion per se that causes trouble in the world. It's the fallen hearts of men who use religion as a sword that causes trouble on the world. That's where the trouble comes from. Definitely doesn't come from Jesus Christ. He is the Sar Shalom. He is the Prince of Peace. So in Matthew chapter 5, beginning with verse 38, we read, You have heard that it was said, 
an eye for an eye, and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evildoer. But whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn to, turn to him the other also. So does this mean that we should willingly submit ourselves to get the crap beat out of us? Be walked on like a welcome? No. We have the right to defend ourselves. What this is talking about is losing face. Losing face. Looking, looking bad in front of somebody else. If somebody disgraces us in front of somebody else, whether they slap us on the cheek or, or just give us a good dressing down with their, with their verbiage, we're saying, okay, fine. We're to turn the other cheek. And I remember this happened in, uh, in school. I was in junior high. I was in a class. And uh, somebody just gave me the what for. I don't even remember what it was about. I think they were making fun of me because I was a believer. And the teacher was standing by and listening to all this happen. And uh, after the person got done speaking, I turned my face, showed him my cheek. And that person that was giving me the dressing down, making fun of me for being a believer, just looked at me. And the teacher said, I think he's turning the other cheek. What does that mean? And the teacher told him the scripture where that comes from. So, I mean, it, it was maybe that was a crazy little witness, but that's what that's saying. It's not saying that we should be a welcome mat or willingly let people beat us up. We are allowed to defend ourselves. That's not what this is talking about. It's talking about losing face. But I tell you, do not resist an evildoer. Because if you allow an evildoer to say what they want to say, they're going to end up looking the fool. Because they're going to say some unfounded things that you're, they're going to be proven wrong and you're going to be vindicated later. later. It's like Yeshua. Did he defend himself in front of the Sanhedrin or in front of Pilate? He opened not his mouth, and his silence was his own defense. And he ended up being vindicated. Yes, he was nailed to a cross, but he was proven to be innocent. And so a lot of times when evil comes up against us, we want to defend ourselves. We might not even want to defend ourselves, but we want to defend God. But God doesn't need a defense. God can defend himself. So sometimes we just got to be silent. But I tell you, do not resist an evildoer, but whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And the, and the one wanting to sue you and take your shirt, let him also have your coat. <laughs> whoever forces you to go one mile, go with him too. And we know that that was a Roman government thing, that they can conscript anyone. A soldier can conscript any Joe Schmo to carry his baggage um, you know, as he was going down the road. And usually it was required a mile. But to show Christian humility and to show Christian love, go the extra mile. Go too. And they'll be like, what? why are you caring? Like, I told you you could leave. No, no, I, I can keep going. <laughs> you know, wouldn't that be crazy if a Roman soldier said, I order you to put my pack down and leave. <laughs> you know, <laughs> go, if somebody compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to the one who asks of you, and do not turn away from one who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it is said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That's not scripture. Love your neighbor is scripture, but hate your enemy is not scripture. That's just natural fallen man's uh, feelings towards the enemy. Why in the heck would I, I, I be nice to my enemy? doesn't make sense. It's not logical. It says, you've heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now, in a Jewish context, love your fellow Jew, love your fellow Hebrew, love your fellow Israelite, love your fellow Canadian, love your fellow Caucasian, you know, but if they're different from you, you know, they're, they're, they're Catholic, they're native, they're, they're, uh, you know, whatever. 
Oh, then you can hate them because they're your enemy. No, you've heard that it was said, you shall love your enemy and uh, uh, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemy. Pray for those who persecute you. We should be praying for the Canadian government right now because they're persecuting pastors as we speak. Unjustly, unlawfully incarcerated. We should pray for our government leaders. Pray that God would break them. Pray that God would humble them. Pray that they would understand and realize what they're really doing. Pray for their salvation. You know, it's easy to get on social media or, or um, on, you know, see celebrities and people on TV and say, oh, I hate that guy. I can't stand that guy. Well, it's easy to say that. And usually you say you hate that person because they're against what you're for or they stand for what you're against. But it's really hard to hate those same people when you decide to pray for them. I have a page in my prayer book of politicians and celebrities that my flesh wants to hate because they disgust me. And it's so humbling every time I see that page and I'm like, okay, yeah, I have to pray for this politician and this famous person. You know, and realizing that they're human beings just like us. They're born into sin, bound for hell just like us. I don't want anybody to spend eternity in hell. I don't care who they are. I want them to repent. I want them to be saved. It's easy to hate them. It's easy to condemn them and speak against them. It's hard to love them because loving is the way of Christ. And he was the greatest example being nailed to the cross by the Romans and by the initiation of the Sanhedrin. And he could have cursed and reviled everyone. He could have called 10,000 angels to rescue him from that cross. But in humility, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. A lot of times the people we hate have no idea what they're doing. In reality, they don't know what the consequences is going to be of what they believe, say, and do. Now, I remember getting upset with local people around here. And I remember crying out to God, God! They should know better. And the Lord said, no, no, they don't. No, they shouldn't. Why? Uh, because they weren't raised in church like you. Look, we're, we're four to five generations out of people being unchurched. You used to, everybody went to church. Didn't matter if they were Christian or not. It was just the thing to do as expected. But now we're four or five generations away from that where hardly anybody goes to church. So they literally don't know better because they weren't raised to know better. And that really humbled me. So we can't hate people who don't know better. They're ignorant. We need to pray for them and pray for our enemies. I'm getting off bunny trails here, but praise the Lord anyway, right? Just hate what they do. Though. Yeah, hate what they do, but don't hate the sin and not the sinner. You have heard that it is said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemy. Pray for those who persecute you. Not only did Jesus do this. Father, forgive them for they know what they do. But Stephen, the martyr Stephen, didn't he say the same thing? He took Yeshua's example. They were stoning him to death. And in the moment that they were stoning him to death, pelting him with stones until dead, he prayed for his enemies. Pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. Which means just because we're Christians, just because we're believers, just because we follow Christ doesn't mean it's all going to be fine and dandy and a picnic and a bed of roses and a cakewalk for us. We're going to have trouble, try on tribulation just like the next guy. It's going to rain on us like it's going to rain on them. 
And if I don't go out with an umbrella, that's my fault. It's not God's fault. So it says, he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Not only that, but we need rain for our crops. He's not going to give me rain just because I believe in him. And he's going to withhold rain from the enemy. He's showing his love and his mercy to the enemy by putting rain in their, in their fields for their crops. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Even the tax collectors, which were considered, but you know, turncoats in that day, uh, Benedict Arnold's, if you will, even the tax collectors do the same, don't they? And if you greet only your brother, what more are you doing than anyone else? Even the pagans do that, don't they? Therefore, be perfect, meaning being complete, be whole, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. I also want to read Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, starting with verse 16. Romans 12, 16. This is hard stuff for even the best of us. This is hard stuff to live by and to obey and to do even for the best of us. Romans 12, starting with verse 16. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own eyes. How many people do we see who claim to be Christian and they got their nose in the air? And if it rained, they would drown. You know, they're not living in harmony. They're proud and they don't associate with the lowly. Oh, I'm better than them. Like, like the Pharisee. Oh, Lord. I thank thee that I'm not like this tax collector over here. I fast twice a day and I do this and I do that. Oh, don't, aren't you so proud of me, God? But it wasn't his prayer that was heard. It was the lowly next to him. It was the low life. It was the scumbag. It was the tax collector who, who couldn't even raise his eyes to heaven and he beat his chest. He says, oh, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Who went away justified that day? It was the scumbag. It was the tax collector that went away justified, not the Pharisee. So, um, do not be wise in your own eyes. Repay no one evil for evil. Give thought to what is good in the eyes of all people. I mean, it's our fallen flesh that wants revenge. You keyed my car, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to deflate your tires, right? And then there, it's a tit-for-tat battle. They're on out that never ends. But here it says, repay no one evil for evil. Give thought to what is good in the eyes of all people. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live in shalom, live in peace with all people. Never take your own revenge, loved ones, but give room for God's wrath. Let God defend you. Let God get his vengeance and justice. We're not to be spiritual vigilantes. As much as I love Batman, I can't be a spiritual Batman and get back all those who did me wrong. If it possible, so far as it depends on you, live at peace with all people. Never take your own revenge, loved ones, but give room for God's wrath because he will take vengeance in ways we can't even fathom, in ways that will blow our minds. And we're like, oh, I would have never thought of that. I was going to do this instead, right? But give room for God's wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says Adonai. Rather, if your enemy is hungry, let the poor sucker starve. 
If he is thirsty, let him go dry and parched. Oh, I must be reading the wrong version here. Rather, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. Feed him. Give you a good example of this. Junior high. Here I am, you're, you're what, 60-pound wuss soaking wet. And this hood, who probably got the crap beat out of him at home, probably hated himself, didn't even like himself, saw me as an easy target. And I'm sitting there at lunch with a friend, and he comes up and he's trying to, I don't know, get lunch money from me or trying to intimidate me or threaten me in some way. And my friend says, hey, want a potato triangle? <laughs> Remember those potato, hash brown potato triangles you got in school? Yeah, we were eating lunch and he's sitting there like, you know, going to, you know, beat me up after school or he's going to, you know, steal my money or, I mean, whatever. He was trying to intimidate me. And my friend offers says, hey, here, because you know what? He wasn't sitting eating lunch. He probably couldn't afford lunch. He probably wasn't going to even have lunch. That's why he had to steal lunch from other people. And he said, hey, you want my potato triangle? That was Christ-like love that my friend showed to that bully. Instead, he didn't even, my friend didn't even try to defend me. Hey, what are you picking on my friend for? He showed Christ's love to, that, to my bully and said, hey, want a potato triangle? And it, he kind of took aback, like, hey, you know, I'm here being a jerk. What are you being nice to me for? Like, oh, you know, you know, and when you're nice to your enemy, they're thinking, oh, wait, this is some sort of trick. You know, what, did you poison it or something? You know, they get suspicious. But no, you're just showing the love of Christ. So that is a great example. So it says, rather, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For by doing so, so you will heap coals of fire on his head. I tell you, man, the sweetest revenge is showing love to your enemy. That is the sweetest revenge of all because I, I love the bewildered look on their face. Like, I'm treating you like crap. How can you be nice to me? How can you say you love me? How can you do me good? What, is this some sort of trick? You, or they just get stunned silent. They, they're flabbergasted. They don't even know what to say. They're like, duh, duh, buh, 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 buh. you know, you're being nice to them and they don't know how to react to that. So love is the sweetest revenge. The Bible says it's like putting hot coals on top of their head. I love that analogy. So it says, do not overcome evil. Uh, do, not over, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. You can't fight evil with evil. You got to fight evil with good, and good always wins. May take a little bit more time, but eventually good always wins. May not even be on this, this earthly plane. But good will overcome in the next life, in the next world. Now, you don't have to turn here because it's just one verse. But I wanted to read real quick from Proverbs chapter 25, verse 22. And while I'm there, you guys can go to Luke 6. So Proverbs 25, 22 says this. For you will heap coals of fire on his head, and Adonai will reward you. So that's the verse we just read in Romans 12. Paul was quoting Proverbs 25, 22. So the implication is if we love our enemies and we're nice and kind to our enemies and meet the needs of our enemies, God will reward us. And whenever, this is another passage, don't remember the citation of the verse, but be careful if God does get them back and something bad happens to your enemy, don't be like, oh, yes, yes, he deserved that, yeah. 
Because it says if you rejoice over your enemies, God will see that and he'll start being nice to your enemy. So we're not to rejoice over our the downfall of our enemy. That's part of God's plan on humbling our enemy to hopefully bring our enemy to him. So y'all Luke 6. All right. So Luke chapter 6, beginning with verse 31. Do to others as you would have them do to you. That's the golden rule, right? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are doing good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do this. So what is the Lord saying here? We've got to be better than sinners. Even though we're sinners ourselves, we've got to be better than the average sinner. You know, it's like I told my daughter one time, we're... More is expected of us because we're followers of Christ. More is expected of us because we're followers of God. And this happened to her in, in kindergarten. She was just messing around, didn't mean to, to hurt the kid. But I don't know, I think she was pretending to be a dog or an animal or something like that. And she was at pretending like, ah, ah, you know, like she's going to bite. And the little girl put her finger out and she bit her finger. And the girl cried. And of course, the, when I picked her up from kindergarten, the teacher told me about it and the incident and yada, yada, yada. So uh, as we were driving home, I said, well, um, so what did you do, Ariana? What did you do after this? Did you, did you say you're sorry? Yeah. Did the girl accept your apology? Yeah. I said, well, that's good. That's good. I said, but, uh, you know, as, as believers, as followers of Christ, more is expected of us. We've got to go the extra mile. So, you know, sorry isn't good enough. What, what, what can you do to make this right? You hurt her. What, what do you think that we can do to make her feel better? Give her a band-aid. Okay, yeah, that's a great idea. We can give her a little bit. You can give her a band-aid. Um, well, maybe, maybe I can write her a card because cards make people feel better. Yeah, and we could put the band-aid in the card. That's a great idea, Ariana. Anything else? Yeah, maybe can we put some like a stick of gum in there because cause gum always makes me happy. Oh, that's a great idea. So we did that and gave that to that little girl. And what a witness that was because we're going the extra mile. When we do something wrong, we just don't say, oh, sorry. It's easy to say sorry. But sorry, that's just, just empty words most of the time. How can you make right the wrong? That's God's way. How to, can you rectify the wrong? If there's a way to make it right, do it. Go the extra mile. That's what's expected of us. All right, let me find my place again because I'm rambling off again. Uh, and if you lend to those from whom... Uh, you expect to take, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners in order to receive back the same. It's just stuff. It can be replaced. I mean, if you're a Ned Flanders and somebody's a Homer Simpson, let them keep it. Let them keep it. It's not worth the hassle, not worth the fight. You can get another one, whatever it is. Verse 35, but love your enemy and do good and lend and expect nothing in return. A lot of times people will, you know, well, if I lend and I'm going to ask a favor from you later on, don't even, ex don't even expect to, you know, a favor from that person. Just let it be a gift. Let it be. Leave it alone. Don't expect interest or return or whatever. Then your reward will be great and you will be the sons of Elyon, that is the most high, for he is kind to the ungrateful and evil ones. Why in the world would God be kind to the evil ones? For the same reason you're supposed to be kind to the evil ones, to flabbergast them, to put coals of hot fire on their head, 
to make them think twice, to show them love and mercy, to show that there's a better way, and maybe they will come to the Lord. That's why. Be compassionate just as your Father is compassionate to you. So now we're going to get into our tour portion. In Deuteronomy chapter 22, we're going to read the first four verses. It says, You are not to watch your brother's ox or sheep going astray and ignore them. You must certainly bring them back to your brother. Sometimes we see stuff happen and we're like, oh no, somebody should do something about this. But at the same time, you're like, oh, I'm not so sure I want to get involved. We're obligated. We're obligated to help those that are in need if it's within our ability and power to do so. Now, maybe you're going down the road and you see a guy broke down. Now, me, I don't know anything about mechanics. I can change the radio station, but that's about all I can do. I can't change the oil. But if I see a guy broken down on the road, you know, I may call somebody to, you know, like the police to say, hey, there's a guy broken down. Or if, if I see him in time and be able to slow down and say, hey, can I take you to the gas station or can I give you a lift or can I help you? You know, and now you are not to watch your brother's ox or sheep going astray and ignore them. You must certainly bring them back to your brother. Why? You'd want somebody to do the same for you. If your brother is not near to you, and if you do not know him, then you should bring it back to your house, and it will remain with you until your brother comes searching for it, and you will return it to him. Wait, I thought finders, keepers, losers, weepers. No, that's not what God's word says. Finders, keepers, losers, weepers, uh-uh. It says, if your brother is not near you, and if you do not know him, then you should bring it into your house, and it will remain with you until your brother comes searching for it, and you will return it to him. You are to do the same with his donkey, his coat, or any, anything lost by your brother that, uh, that may be lost by him and you find. You may not ignore them. So it's like you see a, you see a wallet or money on the side of the road. Oh, man. oh, wow. You pick it up and you just say, hey, I need this money. No, you try to find out whose it is and you give it back. You don't take it for yourself. You I remember, huh? I remember once I was coming home from Woodstock. I always took my right and contact to pick bottles, picked up the herbage and all that stuff. Yeah. And I noticed these two trucks in this side road, and then all of a sudden they tore off and took out. Took off. I said, "Oh well, maybe they were drinking. They threw out the bottles. I'll go get them." Now and then there's this woman's purse. Oh wow. And I don't know. I got this hilarious feeling. I said, "Lord." found a purse. I just kind of looked around and I, you know, that the gut feeling of what crime happened, right? Yeah. I said, I hope there's not a body here. Yeah. Seriously, I, I was, that thought was there. Huh? And I kind of surveyed the area and I didn't see nothing. So I just took the purse home and the wife said, what do you got there? Where'd you find that along the road? Said, That's cool. I said, yeah, but I explained to her what was going on. So she said, well, at least open it, maybe there's a name. Okay, so I found the name, and I knew another person had the same last name, so I called them. And I said, uh, do you know this lady? Yeah, I said, my cousin. She said, she lived down in uh, Southampton. 
I, I explained to him what I found. Said, was there any money in it? I said, I don't know. Uh, if there was, I didn't touch it. But I just want to see her get her purse back. So he called her. She come up. And I said, uh, I don't know how it got out there from Southampton. She said, my purse was stolen. Mm. And I said, ma'am, I said, if there was any money in it, I didn't touch it. Oh, no, she said, you sound like, if you're honest enough to call and want me to find it, why would I think you took anything out of it? I said, I'm just straightforward. And she looked off through her purse and she said, rats. I said, what? She said, they stole my rent money. Ah, she said, I do have a reward for you. She said, but find us. Ma'am, I don't want nothing. I'm just happy that you get it back. Mm. She said, look, here. Accept twenty dollars. I said, No, I'm not accepting nothing. She said, Fine. Abby was there and Abby's like this high and she said, Come here, sweetheart. Come over and she said, Did Dad gonna accept this reward? But I want you to have it. You take this, give it to your mummy, and get her to buy you milk or whatever you kids need with it. And I said, Man, you don't get it. I said, No, I know I don't. I wanna do it. If you're good enough to call me and return it to me, I want to bless you. See, it's a blessing just to get back what I have. And I want to bless your little children. So Amber almost broke down crying, but she never been touched like that. Mm-hmm. Should you take this blessing and buy some milk or whatever you need for your kid? Did your husband strong head, bull head, and everything that won't take it? She said, no, she said, he won't. He just wants you to have your purse back. That- your belongings, it was in it. That is a perfect illustration and an example of what we're just writing. I mean, thank you for sharing that story because it fits perfectly with what we just read. If your brother is near or uh, not near you, or if you do not know him, then you should bring it into your house and, uh, and it will remain with you until your brothers come searching for it and you will return it to him. You are to do the same with his donkey, his coat, or anything lost by your brother that may be lost by him and you find you may not ignore them so we if we if somebody found something of ours on the side of the road or in some, we would want them to bring it back to us and i remember one time uh pam and i were in some mall and found a cell phone and uh we're like man well how can we get this cell phone back to this individual well the phone rang and, and i answered it and it was a girl who the one who lost the the phone and the way she was talking, she thought I was going to try some kind of scam to get money from her, to ransom the phone back or whatever. And she was all leery and suspicious. I said, no, 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 we're here. Come to this store. We're right in front of the store, and we'll give you the phone. And she was like, really? really? Yeah. Like, what are we going to do with a cell phone? It's yours. Like, so she was really appreciative that an honest person found that phone. Somebody else could have done, you know, found that phone and done some pretty nefarious things with it. Yeah. You know, so uh, – Golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. You are to do the same with his donkey or his coat or anything lost by your brother that may be lost by him and you find. You may not ignore them. You must not watch your brother's donkey or ox fall down on the road and ignore it. That's kind of analogous of a car breaking down, somebody breaking down on the side of the road. You must certainly help him lift it up again. So all those renewed covenant passages fit perfectly well with Deuteronomy chapter 22 verses 1 through 4 that we just read because it's talking about loving our enemies, loving people that we may have something against or they have something against us. But it reminds me of 
DC Talk song that love is a verb. Love is, is a verb. It's not something that you feel. It's something that you do. Love is a proof to something that's already ingrained inside you. And that's what we need to remember. So if you will please humor me, I'm going to tell this story again. And you've probably heard it so much like, oh, here we go. Here's that same story. But it's perfect for, for this example. I remember in high school, I was out skateboarding behind this uh, restaurant. Well, my bully worked at this restaurant, saw me out the back door, and he beelined it towards me. And before I knew it, he had come at me and he clocked me a good one. He took his fist and just right across my face and knocked me down on the ground. Well, I'm a lover, not a fighter. I picked up my skateboard and I ran home. And as soon as I hit my property, I'm like, oh, man, great. I know exactly what's going to happen. Tomorrow, as soon as I get off the bus, he's going to be waiting there with his friends. He's going to be making fun of me because I didn't defend myself because he punched me and blah, 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 blah. So my mom is like, oh, well, let's call the principal and let's do it. I said, no, 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 mom. No, I know what I'm going to do. Trust me. Let, let me handle this. I know what I'm going to do. And this must have been from the Lord. So sure enough, as soon as the bus pulled up to the front of the school, there he was with all his friends. Ah, you're a wimp. You're a pussy. You're this. You're that. You're, you're a chicken and da, da 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 and all that. Ah. So I thought to myself, okay, if it's a fight he wants, it's a fight he's going to get. So we walked <laughs> into the school. And I said, so, Tony, you want to throw? And all oh, this grin come across his face. He's like, yeah, yeah, I want to throw. So, yeah, you want to throw? So I threw off my book bag. He throws his book bag. I throw off my jacket. He throws off his jacket. And by this time, there's a whole crowd of school kids surrounding us in a big circle because they knew a fight was going down, right? So he, he gets up on his heels. He puts his fist up, and he's dancing like Muhammad Ali. I come right into his face, right nose to nose. I put my finger right in his face, and I said, Tony, I don't care what you do to me. I don't care what you say to me. I love you, and Jesus Christ loves you. And he's like, uh, uh. His arms go down. His eyes get wide as saucers. His mouth hits the floor. He wasn't expecting that. And everything got real quiet because the crowd wasn't expecting it either. And this black girl in the back says, yeah, you tell him. <laughs> and from that day on, my enemy became my friend. From that day on, my enemy, my bully, became my unofficial bodyguard. If anybody said or did anything against me, they had Tony to deal with. So you can turn your enemies into your friends. Now. <laughs> yeah. And this reminds me of a story that Aaron told. It was right before church at Grand Falls, and he saw this girl that, that he knew walking down with this uh, guy that was transitioning or whatever. So he went out to say hello. Well, those things naturally repulse Aaron because he's a red-blooded, you know, masculine guy. You know, it, it, it disgusts a guy like that. So this guy who's transitioning expected to be treated that way. Expected to be treated with disgust and disdain. So he gives the girl a hug, and to blow this guy's mind that's transitioning, gives him a hug. Says that he loves both of them. And it totally changed the atmosphere and totally changed the attitude of that man. He might show up to church one day. Who knows? Because Aaron planted a seed of love. He poured the hot coals of love, sweet revenge on that guy's head. And he's going to think twice. Next time somebody badmouths a Christian, well, not all of them are that way. Not all of them are bigoted, whatever. Um, so let me read to you First Peter. First Peter chapter 4. 
starting with verse 8. 1 Peter chapter 4, starting with verse 8, it says, Above all, keep your love for one another constant, for love covers a multitude of sin. And that's taken from Proverbs chapter 10, verse 12. Love covers a multitude of sin. The sin of somebody else hating you. The sin of somebody else wanting to beat you up. The sin of somebody else slandering you. The, the, the sin of somebody else trying to get revenge on you or rip you off or do you wrong. Love covers a multitude of sins. Doesn't mean that, you, that they get away with it. Doesn't mean you excuse their actions. But it means you love them despite what they've done to you. You're showing them Christ-like love. The type of love that Jesus himself showed from the cross when he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Above all, keep your love for one another constant, for love covers a multitude of sin. Be hospitable one to another without grumbling. As each one has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards and many-sided grace of in the many-sided grace of God. God doesn't expect us to be a welcome mat, but he expects us to love our enemies and he expects us to serve our enemies and to serve one another. It's taking the high road. It's being the bigger man, so to speak. And it's showing the greatest example of a believer that can be shown. Because this doesn't go, this goes totally contrary, totally against our natural fallen inclination. Our fallen inclination is want to deck the guy, get the guy back. The way God wants is totally the opposite because it opens up doors for witnessing opportunities and doors of love. So this is the crooks of our faith, the two greatest commandments. Love God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love our, our neighbor as ourself. If we can't love our enemies, we are no different than the fallen world. And that's the accusation that's given against us as believers. We're hate mongers, we're bigots, we're prejudiced, we're racist, we're this, that, and the other. We've got to prove them wrong by our actions, by our love. And that's hard to do. And this message may be more pertinent than we imagine because how long will it be until the enemy, whether it be the woke church or whether it be the government, come actively against us to arrest us, to fine us, to torture us, to jail us, to humiliate us, to take everything away from us, our standing, our, our status, our belongings. Are we still going to love when that happens to us? If you read stories of the Eastern Bloc, of Christians suffering under communism, and you read Tortured for Christ, or you read, you know, other, other accounts. The very person that's torturing you just for the sake of torturing, and they're getting off on it, they're enjoying it, and the victim is responding to them in Christ-like love, totally blows their minds. Maybe that's going to be your greatest witness one day, is getting put on a rack and stretched out, getting your back whipped, or your feet beat with a hose. And you turn around and say, you know what, I love you. What, are you on drugs or something? Are you delirious? You must be delirious. I better stop beating you because you're delirious. No. I How can you love me? Because you're a human being. You're a creation of God. I love you, and I don't want you to go, hell, I'm sure you have family, that you have people you love. What a great witness that could be. And 
Yeah, it'll floor them. And that's going to be the hardest thing for us to do is to love our enemies. And I'm speaking to myself because when I think of my enemies, I think, ooh, I could do this or I could do that or I want to do this or I want to do that or I want to react this way. I want to react that way. But then I realize that's not what God would do. That's not what Christ would do. That's not what he's called us to do as a believer. And just like Aaron's message during the Monday night meal is sometimes we just got to shut up. Don't even engage. And our silence doesn't mean that we agree with that person necessarily, but it's, it's love covers a multitude of sins. We're just choosing not to fight. We're choosing not to engage for the sake of love, for the sake of peace. All right. But the word of the Lord endures forever. The word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. And of the joints and of the marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. She is a tree of life to them that laid hold upon her, and happy is every one who retaineth her. Lord, these are probably the hardest words to live by. Thou shalt not kill. Easy peasy. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Easy peasy. Thou shalt not steal. Easy peasy. Love you, love your enemy. Uh, oh, that's a hard one, Lord. The others are, are kind of easy, but I even struggle with this one. So, Lord, help us to love our enemies, knowing that our love for them is going to be the sweetest revenge that we could ever take out on them. Better than getting them back, better than doing something worse to them, is to love them and show them the love of Christ. It will shock them silent as if hot coals were being heaped upon their head. And Lord, I'm glad you told me to get in Tony's face that day and to tell him that I love him and I don't care what he does to me, that I love him and that you love him. And here, 30 some years later, I find him online, and I find that he's a believer in Jesus Christ, too. He's saved. I don't know what, if I even had a part to play in that. But, Lord, I could have acted very differently. And, Lord, I thank you because it's something I couldn't have done in and of myself. I thank you for Aaron hugging that guy that was transitioning into a woman to show him Christ's love to him. That's exactly what Jesus would have done. He embraced the woman who was caught in the act of adultery. He embraced the woman with the issue of blood who had no uh, right by the Torah to be out in public because she was contaminated. Loving the woman at the well who was a floozy and was living with some guy and wasn't even married to him. He showed love to these people. And as a result, they came to know you. So, Father, help us to do the same. That just sometimes we don't even have to present the Romans road. Sometimes we don't even have to present John 3.16. Sometimes we don't even have to actively witness. But if we just love somebody who hates us, love somebody who disagrees with us, love somebody who's got it in for us because of who we serve and what we believe, if we show love to them, that could be all the witness they need to rethink their position and might turn them to you. Help us to do that, Lord, especially in the times that are coming. We're going to be considered foolish and stupid and like dumb sheep. But didn't that, isn't that what the scripture says? Like sheep uh, to the shears is dumb. He opened not his mouth. We need to take the example of Yeshua. It's not what I want to do. It's not what my flesh wants to do, but it's what you want me to do. And I would rather please you, Lord, rather than man. Please you rather than my flesh. Because I know that that pleasing the flesh lasts only mere seconds and then there's consequences afterwards. But pleasing you has dividends and rewards that last for all eternity. 
We love you and we praise you. And we ask these things in Yeshua's name. Amen. Amen.